Well, it's a beautiful September night here in Brisbane. Clear skies for one of the best shows of the year. I was invited to go to a, a lovely unit high on the river there opposite the Story Bridge. And the planes were flying past and I was excited because I love aviation. But things are about to heat up. We are just minutes away from Riverfire 2022. And then the fireworks started. and the flashes and the noise, and it all came back. I just fell apart. Just fell apart. That is because of what happened over there. I had a radio on my back, and we're out with the infantry. My job was to call in the artillery. We got attacked. I thought it was going to die. I thought that was my time. I got out of it, thank Christ, and I survived until I went to river fire and then it hit me. I did not know I had this. I didn't know I had this. My name's Aiden Taylor. And this is the Man Australia Forgot Podcast, Episode 2, Short End of the Stick. Post-traumatic stress will hit when you least expect it. And what you just heard was the moment that 75-year-old Graham Parlow realised the full extent of his own troubles... For only the second time in his life, he'd been struck down by PTSD. But here's the thing. He hadn't picked up a rifle in 54 years. But it only takes one moment for everything to come rushing back. And this was that moment, brought on by what he experienced on the front lines of Malaysia as a conscript in 1967. This particular problem, it took a hold of my whole body. I suddenly started to shake. My vision went. They had to help me into a a room where they sat me down. And luckily there was a nurse there that had a a brown paper bag and she was getting me to breathe into that because I was obviously hyperventilating. Yes, I did get a bit of a shock. I went and had some help with this and they said there is no cure. You can make it easier on yourself, but there is no known cure. you just got to get on with life. I've learned a lesson out of it. Don't go near fireworks. Between 1964 and 1972, 63,000 national servicemen were conscripted as part of the National Service Scheme, and Graham was one of those guys. And he says it's hard to put into words how different that time was. A lot of people, they just don't understand, and nor should they, because it's an era that was bad. You know, as far as military history in this country, it's a damning damn side of it, because They took us away, trained us to kill people, brought us back to Australia and said, thank you very much. It's all over. Two years. Now, if you were listening last episode, I brought you the story of a guy called Jeff Parks, who started an association called Nasho Fair Go, which is doing some great work advocating for the rights of the 64 to 72 Nashos. And something he said about Graham struck me. 
Now, Graham also happens to be the Nasho Fairgo vice president, so there's that link. But this is what Jeff said about the struggle Graham's having in getting reparation for his service. Some of our blokes served in Malaysia. Graham Parler, one of our Queensland men, he was one of them. They were regularly harassed by guerrillas. They carried live ammunition. They were shot at. And they were never, ever classed as being in a war zone. And they were never been given any benefits. And what you heard at the start of this episode really puts into context what he went through. So Graham was based at the Terendak Barracks in a place called Malacca in central Malaya, which is now the country of Malaysia. He got there in 1967. He was in the infantry with 8 RAR, which was there to ensure stability in the country following the Malayan emergency. They regularly ran jungle exercises to harry and unsettle the communist terrorists, or CTs as they were known, and to force them to move on. But despite what he went through, Graham has been rendered ineligible for Australia's highest level of veteran entitlements, the gold card, which covers all medical expenses for the rest of your life from the time that you get it. And it's set aside for people who've been through the worst of the worst. So he can't get that. And this episode will explore why that is. All right, so I want you to think about this. You've got two veterans. You have veteran A and veteran B. They both served in hostile areas, they almost died in combat, and their lives have been completely messed up beyond comprehension because of what they went through. Now, Veteran A has been given full medical cover for the rest of their life through the Gold Veterans card, but for some reason you've got Veteran B who received the short end of the stick. So they've ended up with one of the lowest forms of medical assistance called the White Veterans card which is available to anybody who served one full day in the Defence Force. And through that, they can get their mental health treatment paid for and some assistance with service-related injuries. But can you pick which veteran describes Graham's experience? So Graham is veteran B, and veteran B is the story of anybody who fought in Malaysia between late 1966 and 1972. But then on the other hand, veteran A represents anybody who fought in the Vietnam War around that same time. Now, the only thing separating these two veterans is where they served. What they went through was pretty much the same. Yet, as you can see, they've been treated very differently. And Graham can't understand why that is. And I believe that was an injustice because we spent two years out of our lives, the same as the blokes who went to Vietnam, And they were sent there because that's where the army sent them. Like myself, I went to Malaya. Some went to New Guinea. Some went to Laos. Some went to Cambodia. We were all sent there on the understanding that we had a damn good chance of ending up in Vietnam. Now, why weren't we treated the same? Now, I'm only one of thousands of blokes. Since I took on Nasho Fair Go job up here in Queensland, I found out there's all sorts of problems these poor buggers are experiencing. It's It just seems so unfair, mate. Yeah. Now, obviously, what I've done here with this side-by-side comparison of veteran A, veteran B, is a simplistic way of breaking down an incredibly complex issue. And in reality, there are loads of variables impacting upon the eligibility for veteran entitlements, some of which would carry more weight than others when push came to shove. But what I've tried to do is, and I've tried to do this in the simplest possible terms, is to illustrate the sorts of injustices that are plaguing this system that we have. 
and how you can have two veterans with very similar experiences on completely different playing fields when it comes to getting those benefits from the Department for Veterans Affairs. But what I haven't yet mentioned, and it's something that it's worth noting for the future, is that the Vietnam veterans didn't always have the gold card. It wasn't until years after the Vietnam War had ended that the government went back and reviewed their eligibility. But the same hasn't happened for the guys who went to Malaysia. The government has never retrospectively ticked that box for them, which frustrates the hell out of guys like Graham, knowing that if they were to come down with a serious injury or illness, they wouldn't be looked after as comprehensively as their fellow diggers who went to Vietnam. The ultimate thing is, if an ex-soldier was to become ill in any respect, he would be supported by that gold card and he would have no out-of-pocket expenses. That is a significant thing about the gold card is that if you need it, it is one hell of a benefit. I've known of people who have used it extensively and it has been a big asset for them and it's made their life so much better and it, it takes all the drama out of it. They just go to a specialist, they go for an x-ray, their gold card is accepted and it's all paid for and they have no more worries. And are you scared of what might happen if you can't get that gold card, you know, to your health, given everything you went through in Malaysia and what that could mean for you in the future with injuries, illnesses, and, you know, they can be really expensive? Yes. Uh, I, I know of uh, actual diggers that have been unlucky enough to uh, get one or two serious uh, problems. And, uh, you know, they've spent twenty, thirty thousand, 30000 and out of their own pockets and it's made their life uh, somewhat, uh, you know, unbearable for them because it can be contributed to what happened to them in their uh, army service and yet they don't get any help, none whatsoever. But this is where it gets murky because Graham's service was never in contention for the gold veterans card because Malaysia was never recognised as being an operational area when he was there. If it was, he would have qualified for a high level of warlike service, which would have entitled him to that benefit. When we found out, uh, we said, well, what the hell? That question has never been answered. We've asked it and never been answered. And I know a lot of other people, fellows that I knew, were upset about it. Uh, You know, there were other entitlements that we thought we were entitled to that we did not get. We were told we could not get. Yeah, disappointing. The thing that just doesn't stack up here is when you look at how close Graham came to getting that eligibility. So just listen to this. So he got to Malaysia in January 1967. Now, in the three years leading up to that, Malaysia was locked in a nasty conflict with Indonesia called the Indonesian Confrontation. But it just so happens that four months before he got there, The confrontation was called off when the two nations signed a peace treaty in August 1966. And one month later, the Australian government went, okay, well, the confrontation's over, so we're going to stop recognising it as an operational area. And you need to have served in an operational area to push for those higher levels of benefits. So that's why it's really important. So at the end of all of this, anybody who served in Malaysia after September 1966 missed out on that gold card eligibility, meaning that Graham missed out by four months.
So Graham, at the time you arrived in Malaya, the government had already started scaling back its operations because the peace treaty had been signed. The Indonesian confrontation was officially declared to be over. But as we know from your experience, the fighting continued. When you got there, were you aware of the risk and the fact you could have been drawn into combat or wasn't that known at the time? Oh, no, they made it very clear to us that there was, uh, well, they used that term guerrilla activity and they were, they were very active. Before we left to go out into the, to the field for a mission, you were lined up and the Geneva Convention was read to you about the uh, rules of engagement and it was made very clear to you what would happen to you if you did not abide by those rules. We were prepared and we were well trained and, you know, at the time there, whilst it wasn't as active as what the poor devils experienced in Vietnam, it was, um, it was trying, yes. I just don't understand why the government hasn't given you any support. Have they given you any reasoning for that? Why that eligibility for the gold card was rubbed out four months prior and why they haven't gone back to fix that up? Well, there's legislation that says that if you don't serve in a war zone, then for all intensive purposes, I'm not sure of the exact wording of the legislation, but the Nashos that served in Vietnam, not all of them were given a gold card on uh, discharge, but when they turned 70, they were. Now, I don't know whether that was a goodwill gesture or whether it was part of the legislation, but we were certainly not offered were forgotten about and uh, I felt pretty bad about that because we actually got nothing except until the LNP government gave us the white card only mm. a few years ago. And what you're seeing here, all of these inconsistencies, they're becoming increasingly common according to veteran welfare experts. The legislation that governs DVA is horrendously complex. So for many veterans, you hear of other veterans in a similar situation to you and they've got this, that or the other. You can't then assume that the same will apply to you and the law is incredibly technical and it does exclude, there are plenty of cracks where people fall through and don't get the same entitlements as other people they served with. Nick Warren is the Entitlements Officer for the Defence and Veterans Legal Service, which was started in direct response to the Royal Commission into Defence and Veteran Suicide. There are about a dozen different classifications of service type, and that very much dictates what part of the overall entitlements any particular person gets. Now, for your fellow, one of the factors that plays is that warlike service uh, gives you access to a higher level of entitlements, but it's very restricted to specific geographic locations in specific times. If you are 10 miles out of that location or two days late, you simply don't get that classification of service. And I understand this very much affects a lot of our national servicemen and people who've served in areas that were warlike, but they were there after the warlike declaration finished. So at the end of all of this, you have a clear divide between veterans from the same era 
who can and can't get the gold card based on this tiny technicality, which is stopping help from hitting the right places. And before I let you go, I want to leave you with this. So we spoke last episode in depth about the ways that conscription changed people's lives and how brutally unfair it is to judge their eligibility for those benefits based on combat experience alone. And this is something Graham feels very strongly about. Here's what he had to say. Well, I would just like to say this. It's not only the fellows who went to Vietnam that have serious problems, either mentally, physically. There were some conscripts who met with some awful accidents here before they even left, you know, when they were scheduled to be sent to Vietnam. And they never got there. And they've just been left. It's not right. And when you look at the mental state of some of these blokes, it's sad. Just because they didn't go to a war zone doesn't mean to say they're not scarred. I've heard and I've seen young men who, you know, 20, 21 years of age, scarred for the rest of their lives. I mean, their jobs were taken from them. Could never climb the ladder again in the corporate world because two years they said, oh, no, you're too old now, you can't do this. Today, approximately 31,000 national servicemen from 64 to 72 are still alive. But despite Nash Ofego's best efforts, it's been really difficult to put an exact number on who's received help and who still needs it, because many of them either don't use computers or they're reluctant to come forward because of how they've been treated over the years, and this general sense of discontentment and disillusionment with the whole system that's fallen upon them. Right. At this point, we don't know where everyone is. We would like to think that when we are successful to get a gold card, we will be able to submit names and addresses and get them connected to the gold card, which they rightfully deserve. But it's going to be a difficult task because there's a lot of them missing and we have no idea where they are. And Graham, for any Nasho listening right now, what would be your message to them? My message is we want to hear from you. We want you to make contact with us, go to the website, either contact our president in Melbourne or your state delegates, whom are all mentioned on that website, because when we get a gold card, we will know who to update it and you will get your card. Please make contact. So that was Graham Parler, the vice president of Nasho Fergo, sharing some insight into the challenges confronting the Nashos of 64 to 72. And geez, what an important message right at the end there. So I'd just like to add to that, you know, if, if that's you and you need help right now, make sure you head to Nasho Fergo's website. It's all on their contact page. You can find numbers, emails, get in touch with them and they'll be able to help you. And I'd also love to hear from you too. So if you've got a story to tell or you know someone who does, you can reach me at menozforgot at gmail.com. So it's one word. It's M-E-N-A-U-S, not O-Z. It's A-U-S, forgot at gmail.com. And I'd love to hear your stories. But for now, that's all we've got time for today. Plenty more to come on the Men Australia Forgot podcast. I'm Aidan Taylor, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye.